Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, so Matt, how did the hipster burn his tongue? <laughs> I don't know. He was drinking coffee before it was cool. <laughs> good evening everybody and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> all right, everybody. Here we are again. Matt, you doing all right tonight, brother? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Excellent. So real quick, let's say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're happy to be associated with. And I promise you, you're going to find something on there that you're going to like. And it may be something that you don't find any other way. So go check them out at podbelly.com. They've also got some tips and tricks on how to how to podcast if you would like to get into podcasting. Um, while you're on the internet looking up podbelly.com, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. You can sign up to become a patron. We try to put out once a week a, yeah. a Patreon episode, bonus episode for all of our patrons over there, even when it's a dark week. So if we're dark on our main episode, we're going to have a Patreon episode that you can go listen to. We're also, for our $10 a month patrons, they get an ad-free audio version and an ad-free video version of us recording the episode. So they get to see what I'm doing to Matt right now, <laughs> which is not appropriate for anything but Patreon. Right. That's right. 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 So you get to see all of that stuff. And we do some different topics on there. We, we talk. Sometimes we'll do follow-up episodes to our main topics, but we also do some humorous stuff. We recently did a News of the Weird thing where we Matt read off some articles from News of the Weird, and that yeah. was a blast. I had oh, fun Oh, yeah, with that. that was so much fun. And so we're going to have to do that again. Um, we also do, you know, just random weird stuff. If we go on vacation, like Matt and I are going to do here in a month and a half or so, We'll usually do a vacation follow-up episode. So usually something stupid or crazy happens to me on vacation. So we like to talk about it. And like that time, I found quicksand at the beach and almost died. <laughs> Actually, I didn't almost die, but it makes it sound more fun than, oh, I went up to my <laughs> knee in quicksand. It's you, know. you get this image of Adam walking around with one of those pith helmets on, you know, the little... <laughs> yep. Then I the fall... Dr. Doolittle hat. I fall into the quicksand and I'm pithed off. So, all right, Matt. So that's all I've got for housekeeping today. So why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay. So, um, tonight's topic was recommended to us by a listener and we went, <laughs> we went and 
and did uh, a little bit of research and found out, hey, uh, this place looks really, really haunted. And tonight we're going to go back down to Australia and we're going to take a look at the the Manly Quarantine Station. Um, That's right, mate. And it's it's not it's not a girly quarantine say it's a manly one it's it's got hair on its chest so (laughs) but uh but man i was i was really surprised at all the i mean it just kept going and going and Mm -hmm. man this place is really really active um and uh hopefully we're gonna get some uh get some inside information from greg and he's gonna He's going to have some stuff that maybe we can follow up on in a later show. But but tonight we're going to go over kind of the history. I mean, it's a quarantine center. It It's uh, a little bit different than any other place we've talked about. Um, but, you know, it's it, it had so much going on um, when it was opened and with the purpose that it served. It just it just led to there being a lot of leftover sludge, mm-hmm. of, you know, energy and and it seems like some of the folks that were there never left. Right, right. And like Matt said, we'll try to do a follow up either on Patreon or something like that um, with some of Greg's information because you know Matt and I were talking and we can find a whole lot of stuff, but not being in Australia. Right. We were kind of hampered in getting some of that information. So Greg has a ton of information that he's going to send us and we'll go through it. And some of the cool stuff that he found that we were unable to find or that we just couldn't cover in this episode, mm-hmm. we'll do a follow up and give you all some more of that information. Um, because I did keep back some of the history simply to have more room for all of these cool paranormal encounters. <laughs> Right. Trust me, when you when you hear about the stuff that's going on down there, um, you're going to want to hear more. Right. I mean, it's right. just it's that interesting. Right. So as we always say, go check our sources. They're down in the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found this information and you can continue the research because, again, we're going to leave some stuff out. We may cover it a different date, but if you want to go ahead and look into it, then hop over there to our sources down in the bottom of the show notes and you can find the original information that we were able to find. So now the Manly quarantine station or also known as the North head quarantine station is located at North head scenic drive, Manly, New South Wales, Australia. And it sits on the Manly peninsula in Sydney Harbor national park. So originally it was an important location for the local Aboriginal people whose name for it was Corangel and I've got some more information on them kind of toward the end of my notes, but I want to say right now, please forgive my mispronunciations. I even looked these up, but we've gotten people that say use how to pronounce.com or whatever. I'm going to tell you, we've done that. (laughs) I I do that. And two issues with that is one, you have 15 different pronunciations of the same word. So how do I know which one to pick? Plus, I do it and my brain goes, nah, you you ain't saying it that way. You're going to say it like whatever. So I'll hear the correct pronunciation. Then I'll go, ha, and just something (laughs) dumb comes out of my mouth. So (laughs) just go, ha, ha. (laughs) (laughs) 
You should hear what my brain does sometimes when I see words I don't normally say. <laughs> well, I was just proud that you didn't pronounce it gel, because that's probably what I would have said. <laughs> <laughs> Karen gel. Yeah, uh, gel. Now, it was always an important ceremonial and teaching place for the First Nations people. So we'll, we got to look at that a little bit more here later on. Um, but. It was chosen in 1832 as the ideal site for the development of a quarantine facility due to, well, for one, its isolation, where it was located. It was isolated from other cities and, and towns and stuff, but it also had deep anchorage options. So larger ships could come in and anchor there and it had a freshwater spring and its proximity to the entrance of Sydney Harbor. So it was apparently the perfect spot in their yeah. minds for a quarantine station there in Australia. Now between 1832 and eight and 1984, 1984, that's how, that's how long this thing ran. That um, seems absurd to me, but right. Um, thousands of people were actually quarantined at this station and they were isolated from their homes for an undefined period of time. So it wasn't just, foreigners coming into the country it was if you were a native australian and you traveled to certain countries when you came back you had to go to this quarantine station if you maybe were in a spot that was known for a certain disease or they thought you were showing symptoms of a certain disease you had to go to this quarantine station and stay and there was no set period of time like you know uh, 10 days. No, it, yeah. it was just no. whatever they think you need. That's how long you're going to stay. Yeah. I mean, and if you had to travel um, out of the country, uh, you know, two or three years ago, mm -hmm. you know, just imagine what it would have been like. I mean, you realize what it was like trying to come back into this country during a pandemic. Right. Imagine um, what these people had to deal with, with, you know, they're trying to just go home and they get stuck in this, in this quarantine center with no idea of when they were getting out. Now they right. did have a recommended period of time, but that was, I think that was more specific to Spanish flu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it it wasn't necessarily. I mean, you know, Spanish flu. It, it didn't it didn't last as long as COVID. I don't think. No, it didn't. Um, and it burned out quicker. I mean, we're talking about a period of time of uh, you know 150 years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that this place ran. So you know that there was a lot of period. There was a, a long period of time where people were just. Hey, we, we you can't be spreading any disease that you may have gotten in China or the Philippines or New Zealand. I mean, you know, which right. is essentially Australia. You know, it's right there. Yeah, Can but you, you talk, you talk to, to Australia and coming back. I mean, it'd be like me driving to Kentucky and coming back. Yeah, but you, you know? talk to Australian people and and they think New Zealand people have diseases anyway. So and vice versa. <laughs> what are you so, trying right? to do to us, man? <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have all the new zealand people and australian people hating me for my joke <laughs> good lord <laughs> actually 
most Australian people that I have met or talked to, they got a good sense of humor. So I don't think any of them will yeah. be upset by yeah. my, my joke there. I had a patient uh, who was from New Zealand originally. He was a professional wrestler. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. He nice. was rehabbing his knee. And, uh, you know, I, I looked at his occupation and I was like, professional wrestler. <laughs> I was like, well, this will be interesting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he, he was, he was, he was from New Zealand. He, you know, he, he didn't have any kind of like weird nickname. Like they didn't, they didn't call him a Kiwi or nothing. Yeah. He just had a regular, but I mean, he was, he was a cool guy. You know, he told me a lot about New Zealand while I was working with him. Part of his rehab was to suplex you every week, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Suplex me. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, man, I'm trying to rehab my knee, not break my spine. <laughs> <laughs> so this next part I got is from the National Archives of Australia, or the NAA. And it says, quarantine was a period of isolation originally for 40 days. Jeez. Think about that. You got to yeah. spend over a month in this quarantine station. And it was imposed on ships and persons on arrival at a port when they were liable to be or suspected of carrying an infectious or contagious disease. A period of quarantine could also be imposed on plants and animals, but this function was separately administered. So if they thought, you know, if you, like they do in Hawaii, if you try to bring your dog into Hawaii, your dog has to be in isolation in mm -hmm. Hawaii mm -hmm. to make sure it doesn't bring any diseases to um, Hawaii. Kind of the same thing here. Now, quarantine stations where the period of detention was spent was established at each of the major ports of entry to Australia. And for some migrants, it was the first experience to their new country uh, of being detained in this quarantine station. So first thing, yeah. you, you move to Australia, you're going to live there now. Well, your first 40 days are spent in a quarantine station before you can go do anything else. Imagine a little kid come up, pulling on his shirt sleeve. Dad, this country sucks. <laughs> yeah. I don't like our new house. Let's go back. There's too many people at our There's new house. Too many people in our new house. <laughs> so in New South Wales, quarantine regulations were enforced from the beginning of the 19th century, initially on the authority of the colonial governor. Now, while Federation made the Commonwealth responsible for quarantine it was not until 1909 after the quarantine act of 1908 was proclaimed that the function passed to the commonwealth so the first known use of north head as a quarantine site was in august of 1828 with the detaining of the convict ship uh busora merchant when a number of crew became infected with smallpox so the average time of quarantine at north head was three weeks for that for the smallpox. Now, the station was further developed as a complex to include accommodation blocks, hospital wards, and a morgue, as well as an administrative administration center, and it remained in operation until, like I said, the early 1980s. During its life as a quarantine station, 580 ships were detained at North Head, and more than 13,000 people were quarantined. Yeah. 13,000 people. Yeah, that's a lot of people. But, I mean, for the length of time that it was in operation, I almost feel like it would be more, but I, I don't know. 
I just. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, when you think about it, um, it seemed like that, that number's a little low, even though it's a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I mean, it would Not only, it. it would only have been those people that were coming in through the Harbor. And I don't, it, it, I don't it wasn't remember everybody. reading anything. Right. Yeah. I don't remember reading anything where like people that were already in country were having to go here. This was just trying to prevent sick people from coming directly into the country. Right. Either right. letting them wait out their sickness in the quarantine center or be sick enough to pass away. Right. Or to begin to show symptoms, you know, so yeah, I'm not sick today. Can I come in? Well, what if you're sick tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, this stuff's going around. Um, so they, they wanted them to wait and see if they would get sick before they came in. Um, but yeah, I'm, I kind of thought it would be more, but you know, they they may not have been. You know, we didn't. I didn't really see anything that this place was like overcrowded no. or anything like that. People sleeping on the roof or outside or any of that uh, stuff. At, at one point, it got there, which I'll mention. But they quickly built more. So yeah. um, now this next bit comes from Adelaide Haunted Horizons. So they say that during its operation. It contained diseases such as smallpox, typhus, measles, scarlet fever, and even the bubonic plague from getting out into the general population of Australia. It was also the front line for returning World War I soldiers who brought tuberculosis and even the Spanish flu back with them. So to help the containment of these diseases, on arriving, people would be showered with carbolic acid and their luggage would be fumigated. So the acid showers would have the effect that two or three days later, the top two layers of the skin would peel off like a sunburn. Good God. Yeah. It, it was thought that any bugs or disease just under the skin would be eliminated that way. So you'd have to go through a carbolic acid shower. And then for the next two to three days, your skin would be bubbling and peeling until it sloughed off. Yuck. And this is, Matt, think about your entire body. Yeah. Yeah. Even it's terrible. Even your booty hole is sloughing. Oh, off. Lord God. Well, you had to go there, didn't you? I did have to go there. And that, I'm thinking of other parts too. But yeah, the, the, <laughs> I, I, it's everything. It's like a, a bad sunburn over your entire body. Yeah, the whole um, the whole bubbling and blistering and sloughing off uh, that that area right there doesn't need to have any of that. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Regardless like, of the equipment you have, can I can I wear something that keeps it off of that? You know, yeah. like a, a rubber thong or something to keep it off my bits. Yeah, the the Spanish flu hides up your butthole. Yeah, exactly. Like, look, I don't think my giblets need to be carbolic acidized. <laughs> so let's let let's just keep that out of the shower, please. Well, just what acid? Mm-hmm. It's like you you couldn't call it something else. Make me feel a little bit better about it instead of telling me I'm gonna have to go have an acid bath. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no. Jeez, acid bath was a good band back in the day, but that's a acid whole other. 
<laughs> they were good, like sludge metal type thing. Anyway, <laughs> um, there are three cemeteries on site, um, and it was recorded that 572 people died there. But the guides at the Manly Quarantine Station believe there may be as many as 4,000 people buried on site as a lot of the records prior to 1881 have been lost or destroyed. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about one of the cemeteries briefly here in a second. And we'll, that'll, that'll also explain why there might be m- a lot more people than they think. Um, now, the arrival of the Bijapur, and that's probably wrong, in 1853 was over 1,000 passengers. So... This was at a time when the quarantine station could accommodate 150 people. So this triggered a new building phase. As a temporary measure, the Hulk Harmony was purchased and moored in Spring Cove as a hospital ship. So we we had hospital ships uh, during COVID as well. Um, Now the Bijapur, though, yeah. Um, the Bijapur was an experiment in trying to reduce migration costs by using two deck vessels, and the outcome was judged not to be a success. So 55 people died during the voyage, and a further 62 died at the quarantine station from the illness of measles, scarlet fever, and typhus fever. So the majority of the passengers and crew had to be housed in tents. The biggest impetus for change came not so much from a concern about poor housing, but rather a concern for the morals of the married women and the quote, 200 single women let loose in the bush end quote that (laughs) represented the undeveloped station at the time. So the resulting changes to the station besides the use of the hospital ship included the construction of a barracks for the single women in the former sick ground, surrounded by a double fence with a sentry station between them to prevent communication with the women. So this was to keep dudes out of the women's area. Um, probably a good thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, unfortunately, I'm sure there were incidents that led oh, them yeah. to do this. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. You know, it's the same reason why Preparation H says don't take by mouth. Um, <laughs> you know. If it says it, then it's probably happened. Right. Um, but you, you know what? What I took away from the, at the very beginning, you said 1853 and the way they were doing this as um, the first uh, trial of a two deck passenger ship to lower the costs of migration. I, you know, you think about a thousand people on a ship. In 1853, mm-hmm. I mean, that's nothing now. I mean, we've got ships that carry that many people and then some every day and accommodate them extraordinarily well. Right. That wasn't the case in 1853. You no. pile these people for a long journey mm-hmm. all in this in this one ship. I mean, I, I to be honest, out of a thousand people. I'm surprised the number was 55 and not higher. Right, right. So two new buildings were built in the, quote, healthy ground, each to house 60 people um, with verandas for dining. So the original burial ground, this is what I was talking about, was leveled 
and the gravestones were moved to the new burial ground, thus further removing the burials from the view of the healthy ground. So they leveled one of the burial grounds and then moved the headstones. I guarantee you there were mistakes made during that, and not everybody was accounted for when they moved to the new one. Plus, they left the bodies underground, so there is an unmarked graveyard in that area Mm -hmm. where they move the headstones but not the bodies. So they could be digging someday and start digging up caskets from this burial. Digging up bones. (laughs) We're digging up bones. So there were eight quarters that were also built for the superintendent. Now, the register of deaths for the quarantine station's third cemetery held by the archives contains personal details of those who died as well as administrative arrangements relating to burial. From 1881 to 1899, deaths were mainly from smallpox, scarlet fever, and respiratory diseases. The great number of burials occurred as a result of the bubonic plague of 1900, and of the 104 buried, 102 were local residents rather than ship's passengers. Hmm. Now, of the 67 people buried during the 1918 to 1919 influenza epidemic, 13 were soldiers and nine were Italian reservists who had returned to Australia on the SS Medic. And this says an Italian reservist was an Italian national living in Australia who was sent to serve in Italy during the war. So others included crew from SS Atua, SS St. George, and SS Pacific, uh, and passengers from SS Makura and SS Manuka. So the deceased were buried as soon as possible after death, often at night. So real quick, before Matt gets into it, I want to briefly look at the area that the quarantine station is on before the European inhabitants turned it into the quarantine station. So the traditional owners of North Head were known as um, the Gaiamagal people, and they're the ones that named it the Korangel. Now, Korangel stood out as a monolith towering above the plains to the east and looking over the lands to the west. The creator is still known to sit and watch over her lands from this sacred place. And that's a quote from one of the First Nations stakeholders about the North Head area. North Head originated during the last ice age when erosion, uh, erosional forces separated it from Hornsby Plateau, transforming it into a tide island linked to the mainland by Manley's sand pit. This says of note, the central area of North Head Sanctuary features dunes made up of wind-deposited sands dating back 140,000 years to the Pleistocene Epoch. How do they know that? I, I don't know. Um, Got to be some kind of dating that they've Man, done, but I'm too this dumb. This is some to, old sand. Yep. Yep. I, I don't... I, there's got to be a way they can look at it under microscope or in some kind of mass spectrometer, but I, I'm Must too be. dumb to figure it out, so... <laughs> Now, like I said, North Head is known as Korangel by the Gaiamago people and was once used by their medicine men and women healers for spiritual ceremonies and rituals. Rock engravings, rock art, campsites, burials, 
and middens are reminders of the Gaia Mogul people's connection to the area. So some of the early interactions between First Nations people and the European colonists occurred in the North Head area. Notably, the first fleet, led by Captain Arthur Phillip, made contact with the local Aboriginal people in 1788 there. So the following year, three locals, uh, Arabanu, Benelong, and Colby, were captured by early settlers who intended to use them as interpreters. In 1790, at nearby Collins Flat Beach, Governor Phillip was speared in the shoulder at a feast conducted over a stranded whale. So, early relations between the first colonists and the Guyamago people quickly soured, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't see any other result if you came into their land and tried to start taken over and um, in 1789 a smallpox epidemic spread through the local aboriginal population yet another reason to have the relationship soured well by the 1830s there were only a few aboriginal people that remained in the manly area now in sydney harbor this is not right on manly head but it's in sydney harbor and so i wanted to touch on it there is Cockatoo Island. So it's said that this island was used by the First Nations people as a fishing spot and a meeting place for the people that lived around the harbor because it intersected the lands of the uh, Wallamadagal, the Wangal, and the Camaragal, uh, and the Gadigal peoples, uh, who actually referred to this island as... Uh, Warema, and I saw somewhere that a First Nations person said that this meant women's place. Um, I'm impressed. Just, you got through all those. Uh, you did way better than I would have done. I, I don't know if it's right, but I tried. <laughs> those are the ones that I looked up on how to pronounce. Um, <laughs> so despite the signs of Aboriginal inhabitation being basically erased when the penal colony on Cockatoo Island was built, Many First Nations people say it still holds significance to them. So that's another thing to keep in mind. You've got a quarantine station there at North Head Island or North Head. And then on Cockatoo Island, not too far from that, you've got a penal colony. Yeah. So there's a lot of energy in this one little area. Plus, it was a meeting place for First Nations people and a sacred place to them. Yeah. Am I the only one that can appreciate that there was a penal colony on Cockatoo Island? No, no. <laughs> You're just the only one that brought it up. <laughs> uh, moving on. Um, so, you you know, Adams told you kind of what was going on there. We talked about unmarked graves and, and a lot of folks dying uh, right there at the quarantine station. Um, so there is, there is got to be a lot of energy uh, that has just been left over the 150 years of its operation. And there are literally hundreds of spirit encounters that have occurred over the years. And they vary from full-on apparitions, people suddenly feeling nauseated or unwell, uh, objects being moved. So, uh, you know, they they range 
from across the the spectrum of what we talk about when we uh, talk about a haunted location. Mm-hmm. Now it says even a few visitors actually have fled the grounds after an unpleasant experience with an entity. So th- there are some that can actually be pretty terrifying. Um, but as we get into some of these stories, we're going to find that they're not always that way. Now, ghost tour leader, Chris Price explains, quote, people experience strange and sometimes uncomfortable symptoms from time to time, but these always fade relatively quickly. We are always very quick to check if the symptoms are occurring due to stress or a known health problem before we chalk it up to paranormal activity. But you'd be surprised how often we can find no natural reason. I don't think I would be. (laughs) I wouldn't. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's a a lot of cases of people becoming ill um, while on some of these tours. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But let's first, let's look at the areas of the Q station, which is what it's called now. Um that seem to have the most activity. And the first one we're going to talk about is the Gravedigger's Cottage. Now, the it's the oldest building on site. And as I said, it's called the Gravedigger's Cottage. But the name is misleading because they don't believe that Gravediggers actually stayed in that cottage. They believed right. it would have been um, like the quarantine officers. This is where they would have hung out. Well, Grave Diggers Cottage sounds better. Oh, than- it, yeah, it sounds kind of cool. Um, but it's named that because the two of the cemeteries at the station sit on either side of the building. So, you know, it's pretty, okay, we're going to call it this. That could have called it Grave Sandwich Building or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then you have to consider there's an apparition of a man in a black cloak and a wide-brimmed hat. Mm. which is usually the dress of a grave digger um, that has been sighted within the house on multiple occasions. It's also kind of the, the outline of the hat man. It is. Yeah, it is. But there's, there's not really been any, any malevolence from this particular entity. Mm. So don't know that it's that, but, um, but yeah, you're right. It it is uh, close to the, the description. But there does seem to be a darker energy there, which is picked up regularly by the guests that visit. Now, tour guides believe that there are two entities there that do not like women. And these two are named Martin and Samuel. Now, it's common in one of the bedrooms for the drawers to open uh, and the cupboards to open (laughs) All on their own wardrobe <laughs> doors. I was just thinking my drawers usually open there too. So, <laughs> Lord, I look up and he is just giggling to himself. <laughs> I'm like, what? What's so funny? I thought, did I say something really funny? Well, you did, but only in my head. So. <laughs> but yeah, so, so these, the drawers, the cupboards, you know, the wardrobes, the doors will just open uh, randomly without any explanation so frequently that they've actually hit people if they're standing nearby. 
Oh, geez. That's yeah. weird. So, I mean, this is more than just sometimes these doors will open and close on their own. If you're standing there and all of a sudden that empty wardrobe door opens up and slams into your side, you're kind of like, hey. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you get the, the cupboard door open and hits you in the back of the head or something. Yeah. But worse than that, a lot of people have reported this sensation of hands wrapping around their throat. Ooh. Yeah. Or being pushed down from the chest. Or the sensation of being submerged underwater. Hell no. Those no. are very common reports from visitors to the gravedigger's cottage. Now, mediums and paranormal investigators believe that there, there was an unknown woman who was attacked and murdered within that cottage by being drowned in the bathtub. Now, where they come up with this, it's all based on the 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 readings that they're getting when they when they when, when they come to the cottage. That mm-hmm. there's no there's no they're not they're not saying this and somebody's going well, as a matter of fact, here's a newspaper article from 1894. No, sure. There's really they, that's why she's an on. They don't know who she is. There's no record of a murder happening there. Um, but but several of them get that get that feeling when they visit there. Um, now going back, Adam, we talked about the guy in the wide brimmed hat. Okay, that is the one that is thought to be Sam of of the Martin and Sam fame. Okay. Um, but in reality, he's more tragic than he is scary. Um, and he most likely died within the cottage. Now he has not revealed the manner of his death, but he has, um, in various ghostly ways it's described, uh, has let people know that suicide was his cause of death. Mm. Um, so, you know, I don't know, again, this is, this is what psychics and mediums are picking up when they, when they visit the cottage, the female presence that's in the bathroom has also been reached by mediums and has often been described as weeping, uh, while sitting crouched in the bathtub. Mm. Now, photographer Cassandra Hannigan made a visit to the Gravedigger's Cottage in 2020. And she reports as soon as she walked in, she felt the sensation of someone's thumb pressing painfully under her chin. She also described the floorboards, stating that something weird was definitely going on. Hannigan said that by the end of the shoot, I felt prickly heat all over my body. I was running in and out of there like a mad woman. and the, the floorboard thing is going to come up again. Tour guide Melinda Menz says that this kind of experience happens quite often. She says, just like so many others that come through, Cassandra picked up on the negative energy straight away. The energy is so strong. A lot of people on tour will just walk in there and know immediately that something bad has happened here. She says, I had one guy who walked into the bathroom And before I said anything about it, he said, this place is pure evil. And she says so many other people have that same reaction. They can just feel it. It's palpable. You know, that there is a, there's an evil presence there. 
there are places like that uh, where you just, you can walk in and just know something's wrong. Right. And I, I can only imagine that this would be a place like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. With, with everything that has happened there and all that, I can just imagine. Yeah, you know, you. I mean, I've been places where you, you just kind of walk in and you're like, this something is not right here. Right. You know, there's, I don't know what it is, but there is, there's some bad juju in this room, you know? Mm-hmm. But Melinda Mann's the tour guide. She, uh, she actually tells a story of a particularly frightening experience that she had while guiding a tour in the cottage. She says, I had a full group and everything was going ahead quite normally. But then all of a sudden, I felt like the floor was coming up towards me, like I was being pushed down. Then Weird. my hearing went away. I could still hear people talking to me, but it was like I was underwater. So it was like muffled. So that, I mean, that's really strange. And this is somebody that actually works there. It is weird, like the the audio changing. That's weird. But again, people describe that feeling of being held underwater. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess you can kind of, I mean, we've been underwater, and you know what that feels like, but just that sensation of somebody holding you. If you've ever been on the bottom playing, you know, chicken fight in the pool, you know, yeah. and, and you get a, a your your partner on top gets a little too aggressive and you're like, mm. I need to I need to breathe. I need to breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's that sensation. But imagine just having that as you're standing in a regular dry room. That's weird. But it goes on to say that so many people have had such strong physical reactions to the gravediggers cottage either from unexplained pain or panic attacks to loss of consciousness, that it sometimes left off the ghost tour entirely. Hmm. Said it, it all comes down to the guide making a call based on who is on the tour. Said if you have a lot of people who are clearly quite anxious or very nervous, you tend to think, okay, we might do another building instead. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know. You got a tour of, you know, some elderly folks. You may go, mm, wait, well, we may not go in here. I don't feel like calling yeah. uh, emergency today. <laughs> right, right. Now, Adam mentioned these folks earlier, um, the Adelaide's Haunted Horizons. Now, they have done uh, some investigations there. And during one of these investigations, a team member um, who all the team members were female. Um, they were using a spirit box with headphones. Okay. So, so only one of them is actually hearing that. Yeah. Okay. So every, nobody else is hearing it and they're just kind of translating what they hear. And she says almost immediately she heard go away. And then the name Martin came out. So remember Martin was one of the names of the entities that apparently didn't like women. Right. Says when the other investigators asked if he doesn't like women in there, it's it spat out which. Oh geez. Yeah. So the team reported feeling that the floor was vibrating. 
but but very strangely, almost like the floor was humming. Okay, you, you know, you touch something, you know, it's like those electrical boxes that you see, you know, outside, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you get up near them. It's not moving. It's not really vibrating, but it's got this hum to it. You can tell something's going on. And like an electrical charge. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, the word witches came out again, and when they asked whoever it was to light up their equipment, um, it says most of what they were hearing was pretty much leave and enough. Hmm. So, you know, at, at least for one or two of the spirits that are in the gravedigger's cottage, they're not too fond of being bothered. And and maybe it was because the investigators were women. Maybe these two guys had a problem with women. Um, you, you know, we we don't really know, but that it's it's odd to me that um, the psychics would say that these two entities there aren't fond of women, and three female investigators, you know, are just you know being called witch and get out and go away and all this other stuff makes right, you wonder, right. you know, if that, if there's, that's a real connection there. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the shower block. Now the shower block is considered one of the most haunted areas of the facility. Um, and it's where passengers would have to take the carbolic acid showers, um, that Adam mentioned earlier. And a lot of visitors report feeling really uncomfortable when they enter this building, while others say they have heard voices or even been pushed while they're exploring inside. The tall figure of a man and a little girl have been reportedly seen. The little girl appears to be around six years old and is often heard to complain that she doesn't want to get under the acid shower. Huh. I don't blame her. I wouldn't want to get under there either. No. Yeah. Acid shower equals sucks. You know, I'm I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, I'm gonna pass on that. A one tour guide tells the story of a lady on his tour that nervously came up and stood next to him. She said she was down at the end of the shower and felt the sensation of being touched. She spun around thinking it was one of her friends and there was nobody near her. I've experienced that. Uh Uh-huh. Another girl came to this tour guide saying she felt boiling hot, like she had been scalded in a shower and wanted Uh to get out. Once she was outside, she felt fine. But they have no records of anyone dying in the shower block. Hmm. Well, I mean, just because there's no records doesn't mean it didn't happen. That's right. But. But it, yeah. it, you know, it, if there was, if there was some records that indicated that somebody had died in there or several people had died in there, it may explain more as to why there's all these ghosts in the shower block. Maybe they're just mm-hmm. ghosts that like to be clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Carbolic acid. Boy, if that don't clean you, nothing will. Right. You might as well just, you know, take you a bar of lava soap in there and a Brillo pad. Yeah. I think the Brillo pad would be <laughs> easier on your skin than. Yeah, then carbolic acid. And then having your booty hole slough off. <laughs> now, one staff member 
uh, says, I have never been able to walk all the way down the shower blocks. Something always stops me halfway, and I just have to turn around. Huh. You know, that, that feeling of I'm not supposed to go down here is just overwhelming. And and this particular uh, employee says, yeah, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Yeah. And they said when they first started working there, they thought it was just them. You know, I it's just me. I'm just freaking myself out. But they say that a lot of people have that reaction trying to walk huh. down the shower block where they just feel like I can't go any further. I'm not supposed to. Something is telling me to turn around and go back, and they do. Weird. Um, I wonder. I wonder why. Like, I, I wonder. I don't what, know why they would get that feeling of not supposed to be here. Because I, you know, there's places you can get that feeling, and you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, this is because uh, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I get the feeling that I'm not supposed to be here because I'm not supposed to be. So, but I, I don't know why shower block would be that way. I don't know. It is kind of weird. And I, I, I guess I've, I've had a feeling like that before or it was just, but it was more of a less of a, I don't want to go in there. I don't, mm-hmm. I just, I've something, something is telling me I don't want to go in there. You yeah. know, it might've been fine. Might not have been fine, but my gut said, don't do it. So I didn't. Um, and it right. sounds like that's kind of what the feeling they're getting with this is. And like we've said, trust those instincts. That's right. Thanks. That's right. Your gut is usually right. Yeah. Um, now, one employee says, my children have seen spirits on site. On one occasion, my son saw a First World War soldier on the balcony outside the hospital. And huh. it says that there's a lot of sightings right there outside that outside the hospital part. Now, it's said that around 20 children haunt the site, one being a little boy called Isaac. Um, actually, his name is Isaac Lowe's. Isaac Lowe's. And he's one of the more frequent spirits to be seen. He died on August 24th, 1878 of scarlet fever, which was... A, a common fatal illness before the discovery of antibiotics. Right. Another child often spotted uh, all over the grounds is a little girl called Mary Ann. And Mary Ann likes to follow the tour groups around the facility. Um, Chris Price, who was the tour guide I mentioned earlier, he said, I've had some wonderful tours with Mary Ann in attendance. So when she's in a good mood, she'll do some of her tricks for younger tour groups opening doors, touching people, causing little cold breezes. So that's now, now the the ghost tour actually has ghosts that interact on the tour. Huh. Look, if if that's neat. If you could guarantee that Yeah. Whatever right. whatever you charge for that tour, it's worth it. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. mean, really. I mean, you know, think about it. If you if you're going to take a ghost tour, don't wouldn't you love to just have something happen? And now, oh, yeah. there's a ghost that participates. Yeah, right, right. We can make him talk yeah. or <laughs> make her slap you in the back of the head. That's right. Something. That's right. 
Now, I mentioned earlier the hospital. Um, you know, there was a, a, essentially a hospital right there on the on the facility because, like I said, this was a quarantine station, so there were sick people there. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the hospital, um, it's thought that there was a matron that had worked there for a really long time that still kind of looks after the ward. But supposedly she gets upset if any visitors in there are being disrespectful. So I don't know what that constitutes. If you're, you know, cracking jokes or, you know, playing grab butt or whatever, you know, Mm. making rude comments about the dead. I don't know. If Um, it was cracking jokes, I'd be screwed. (laughs) The matron. Matron's coming after Adam. (laughs) Yeah, right. I make jokes all the time, especially when I'm nervous. I'll make more jokes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So get me nervous in a haunted place. And then I got a ghost that's trying to reprimand me for being disrespectful. I'm like, I'm just nervous. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a defense mechanism. And and you're making it worse. So I'm going to start cracking more jokes and then you're going to get angrier. And- yeah, if you keep it up, he's going to start telling knock, knock jokes and we're all yeah, no suffer. kidding. <laughs> no kidding. But uh, Adam, that, I I read this and I went back and looked at it and I've never heard of this as being called this. So tell me if you have. So it it says that this is these hauntings with the matron. It says they're similar to many other hospitals that report the ghosts of gray nurses still on duty. Have you ever heard that term gray nurses? I I feel like I've heard it mentioned one place, but it was never expanded upon, so I don't know what they mean. Apparently, this this is a term that would mean like a ghost nurse, a gray nurse. Mm. That's that's all I can come up with. Um, but I, I have yeah, never heard that term before. I think I like it. Um, yeah. I think it's kind of cool. But I, I just, it was funny that I had just never come across that before. Yeah, I'm. I can't say that calling them a gray nurse is a common thing. I, I would say, you know, we we've heard spirit nurses, we've yeah. heard we've heard of nurses that still go on about their business as if they were treating sick people when they were alive. Right. But nowhere in our research, like on any of the hospitals, did we come across gray nurse. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't recall it either. But along with the matron, there are two other nurses that are thought to make their presences known, and that is Nurse Elizabeth McGregor and Nurse Annie Egan, who had both lost both of them lost their lives to the Spanish flu uh, while taking care of the sick. Annie Egan is pretty famous. Yes, for yes, that, she is. That area. She is quite famous. Um, and these two were both very brave ladies who knew the risk they were taking but still put their lives on the line to help those that were suffering from the Spanish flu. Now, Nurse Elizabeth McGregor had served in World War I and was buried with military honors. When Nurse Egan returned, she volunteered to help the returning soldiers who were suffering from the Spanish flu. She caught the flu herself and died only six days later. Mm. But, but, you know, the saddest part of the story is that uh, Annie Egan was Catholic. And 
volunteered and wound up catching the Spanish flu too. And knowing she was dying, pleaded with the authorities to be allowed for a priest to come in and administer last rites, you know, for herself and for the other Catholic patients there. But the request was refused by the authorities because they were worried that by the priest visiting and then leaving, the flu would spread further to the community. And those, I mean, those are legitimate reasons. But, I mean, how horrible for a a Catholic person to know they're dying and not be allowed to receive last rites. Um, You know, that that is, that's a really hard thing to wrap your head around. That's just, it makes me sad. Yeah. For her. It, it, it really does. But even knowing that, and, and I'm sure she knew that that was a possibility. Um, she, she volunteered anyway, but you know, you know, you hear those stories and, and they're sad, but they're, they're, they're ta- These are, these are brave ladies whose spirits linger on caring for, you know, the sick, but the experiences are not always frightening in these cases. Chris Price, again, uh, the ghost tour leader, um, tells a story that's really more warm and fuzzy than what we typically think of coming from a haunted place. He recalls one particular incident when a guest suffering health problems from a recent motorcycle accident immediately felt better upon entering the hospital ward. Chris says, they instantly felt a feminine presence waft past. He said, most likely a nurse. He said, and they said they could smell sweet perfume. He said, uh-huh. over the next minute, their shakes stopped, their pain decreased, and they were suddenly able to bend down and touch their toes, something they could not do before. Oh, wow. So he says, that really amazed me and showed me that our spirits are still trying to help people who are suffering. That's cool. Now, you know, I, I know we, we enjoy talking about these places and we enjoy sharing these stories with you guys. Um, and, and yes, a lot of it we talk about is tongue in cheek because we didn't experience it. We're, we're telling you about other people's experiences and letting you make up your mind. But when you hear a story like this, it really makes you wonder, you know, how this universe works and what are the potential of there being a a spirit of a deceased person or some other type of spirit or entity that would be benevolent and powerful enough to have somebody who is obviously in pain from, you know, a motorcycle accident. So you, you almost know, well, hey, this guy hurt his back probably along with a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to, to see somebody that's in pain and suffering, but yet trying to tough it out to take this tour, I'm sure, um, just automatically feel better after this yeah. experience. I mean, it really makes you go, at least for me, I said that the ghost stories are not always scary. Right. And, right. and some of these 
are the ones that are the hardest to explain. You know, a, a, a door opening and closing, footsteps down a hallway, a disembodied voice. Somebody is always going to be able to go, yeah, it was that. It was this. You heard that. You saw this. Mm-hmm. But for people to have witnessed something like this, you know, you, you've got people that are going to say, well, this, this is miraculous, you know, and maybe it is, but either way, you know, for somebody to walk into a haunted place and, and get relief like this, I, I don't, I don't recall coming across very many stories of anything like that. No, and that, you know, it's no. pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the closest to something like that, that I, that pops into my head is Travis Walton yeah. when he said the aliens that abducted him fixed some of his problems. Sure. But you don't, there's not a epidemic of friendly ghosts that are actually helping heal people. Mm-hmm. You know, they may warn you about stuff. They may guide you in the right direction, but what, what would it take? You know, we talk about the, the power and the energy needed to move something in a room, right? What kind of power and energy would it take to be able to heal somebody Yeah. to fix a problem? That's, that's wild. I, and I really, really like that story. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was absolutely great. And I was going to end on that one, but there are some that just didn't fit into any other category, and they were cool enough that I I, I didn't want to leave them out. So these mm-hmm. are all the spiritual experiences people have that um, that aren't within those major areas, and and just don't have uh, don't don't fit in another category. The the tour guides. Uh, tell stories about a spirit of a mortician in a top hat. And guides say that he can get a little uh, handsy with the staff and the guests, and that has earned him the nickname Mr. Slimy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, it says there's a... Um, there's reports of a fisherman from China called Mr. Chen. And he often ro- roams around the third class living quarters, which is where passengers who were not of quote, white descent had to live while on the compound. So even, huh. even then, even then, <laughs> you had, you had st- stupid racism and, uh, you know, nationalism and all this other stuff. Well, you're not white. You're not Australian. You got to stay in the third class accommodations. Yeah. Yeah. But his spirit has been seen walking around. Um, Some visitors, children in particular, have sometimes reported feeling a cold hand clasp theirs while walking around the station. Others have felt their hair ruffled or have been prodded and poked when no one was standing near them. Just somebody Hmm. poke you. Just walk up, just poke at you. That's a ghost that's just trying to be annoying. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not here to help you. I'm here to poke you. It sounds like a kid. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Sounds like a kid. Something a kid would do. Hey, Mister. Mom. 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 Yeah. Mom. Mom. You got any mom, candy? Mom. Yeah. <laughs> Lights have come on in rooms with that don't have power. 
Doors have slammed closed when there isn't any breeze. And people have suddenly felt the temperature drop around them, even on a hot summer night. But one of the other, quote, most haunted areas of the station are the inhalation chambers. Okay. This is where healthy passengers had to breathe in steam infused with zinc sulfate several times a day to protect them from diseases such as the Spanish flu. That doesn't sound healthy. Yeah. Unfortunately, if anyone entered these chambers was already infected, it caused the disease to spread to other occupants um, hmm. in the, through the warm steam. You were just increasing its effectiveness. Incubation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, one such victim, a spirit named Red uh, by the staff because he died from scarlet fever, now inspects people as they enter one of the chambers for any signs of illness. If he finds anyone who is unwell with a cold or virus, he will become increasingly agitated, which has caused people in his proximity to throw up or pass out. Huh? Yeah. Up. Oh, you're already kind of sick. You're going to really be sick now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> It's like, God, can you imagine? You know, you're just on this tour and all of a sudden you're like got the sniffles. Next thing you know, you're puking. Uh, Mm, Man, what what do I, hey, the tour was great. Uh, You know, something touched me. I vomited. Uh, I puked my guts out. It was great. (laughs) Best seven bucks I ever spent, man. (laughs) (laughs) Now, just to just kind of wrap it up there. There has been some photographic evidence of hauntings in the Q station. Not as much as you would think because of the tours and because of the the length of time that this place has been there, but there are some and they are available on the Q station's website. Um, and you can look them up online and you can see them. Um, they're not earth shattering, but they are interesting. Um, some guests also claim to have captured images of spirits um, while at the station, including one of a wedding, because the, the station now is really a resort kind of area. It's got restaurants and all this stuff, you know, yeah. overnight accommodations. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's these ghost tours. This is, you know, it's a tourist thing. Um, so somebody had a wedding there and you, you, in the picture, in the foreground, there is this ghostly white hand. Okay. Eh, you know, it, it looks like it could be a double exposure or something like that. Um, but it's, you know, interesting to see. But there is one where there is a man in a fedora hat pictured inside one of the old shower cubicles at the site, which at the time were supposed to be completely empty. And you can see him plain as day. Could that be a fake photograph? Absolutely, it could. If the story behind it is legit, it's a creepy picture. I mean, it really is, considering the the descriptions of some of the other spirits uh, that have been reported. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I said, haunted AF. And not (laughs) necessarily... Not necessarily scary, although it sure does seem like there are some definite scary parts. Um, 
but very, very active. And with with any place like this that offers these tours and stuff, a, a lot of people are going to come out and be like, this is all done for the tour. This is a, this is a tourist trap. Now, I, all of this is fun. It's fun. It's whatever. Okay. But when you have people that share stories consistently and you have staff that share these stories and these experiences and these things happen, you have outside people that have come in and witnessed it and you have all this documentation from these paranormal investigations. You got to think this is not a part of the tourist deal. This is really what's going on. Now, sure, they're capitalizing on it by giving these tours, but okay, you know, let, let more people come and experience it for themselves and let them make their own mind up. You know, what Adam and I like to do for you guys, you make your mind up. We're not telling you this place is haunted. We're telling you the stories and uh, look, I, Based on my research, I would say there's there's some serious activity going on down there. Um, mm-hmm. There's just way too much information. There's there's way too many stories um, that that span probably the last twenty thirty years for right. me to go. Eh, there's really not much happening down here. I'd say, or to say it's all coincidental yeah, or mistaken. Yeah, or, could all be passed off as oh, that was you know the wind or owls or whatever. It yeah, really, swamp, really yeah. doesn't seem that way. Um, and I think if 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 you're one of our Australian listeners, um, just like Greg, you probably know about this place. Um, maybe you're even closer to it. Um, but, but let us know, like I said, Greg is going to, you know, be sending us some additional information about the Manly quarantine station. And we're just, we're kind of hoping that he's really, he's really got some awesome stories that we can share with you guys because mm-hmm. Adam, Adam is dead on at the beginning. You know, we can read the stories, we can look them up, we can research, but when you live there, you, you know, you, you get you get way more of the juicy bits than, right. than we're going to find uh, floating out there on the interwebs. Mm-hmm. So let us know what you think. Does, you know, does it sound like the Manly Quarantine Station is haunted? There's a lot of activity there, and you can check out our links in the show notes and go and read this stuff and see these pictures for yourself. Um but one of the best places to let us know your thoughts is in our Facebook group. Um, great people, great group, very, very active. Um, it's the best place to come in and share these kind of experiences with us. It's a safe place. No one's going to make fun of you, call you a nut job, none of that. We all just want to hear these amazing experiences. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got one, that's a great place to share it. Don't forget to check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And we like to thank everyone who has donated to the show. We have so much bonus content there now. Um, it, 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 we try to give you that to get, get a bang for your buck because we sincerely appreciate 
the donations to the show. It really helps keep us going. Yep. Oh, man, this was a good one. I uh, yeah, and I, I I have to I have to say Greg was spot on Absolutely. when he suggested this one. And like you said, I'm really looking forward to what he sends us oh, so yeah. that we can get into it a little further. But yeah, should be I, fun. I, the history of this place was awesome. The hauntings of this place was awesome. Really cool spot. Yeah. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.